Father, thank you so much for what you're doing, for who you are. God, will you speak today? I'm, we didn't come just to show up and then leave. We came for life change. We want to see lives change. And no one wants it more than you do. So God, will you have your way? Will you let us, let us experience your Holy Spirit like in ways we've never experienced before, God? And we will give you the glory. You're the one who changes lives. Will you do more of it today, God? And we will we'll sit back and watch, and we will give you praise and glory. You're so good. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says amen. So real quick, if you're new, I didn't say this, but I need to say something. If you're new, there's th those connect cards on your chairs. They're green connect cards. I just had one right here. So if you're new, fill it out. Turn it into guest services. We want to give you a gift. We want to love you. We want to meet you. And if you're not new and you've been coming for a year or two years, this is still for you because you're going to tell us what God is doing in you today through this. So um, quick question as we start the message. How many of you remember where you were when, when the tragedy, when the 9-11 tragedy went down? Raise your hand. If you remember exactly where you were. Yeah, most of you do. Most of you do. Some of you are younger. You're like, I'm almost like three. Okay, well, I'm not talking to you right now. So, uh, so you remember where you were. I do. I was, I was literally working in a call center. Um, yes, I had a regular job before I was a pastor. I told you this before. One of my buddies came up to me. He's like, so you're a pastor now. I'm like, yeah. He's like, so uh, you work like three, four hours a week? I'm like, yeah, yeah, work three, four hours. Oh, how about a punch in the face? That's what I thought. But I thought I'm a pastor. I can't do that. So three, four hours. Um, tell my wife that. She'll, she'll punch you as you say that. So 9-11, um, I remember exactly where I was. I was working. Um, there were some people talking. I knew something had happened. I walk into the break room, look at the TV, you know, uh, see a replay of one of the planes hitting the towers. And that event... Like, like, if you've lived through that event, pre, pre that event and post that event, you know how dramatically that changed us. It changed, after that event, a lot of things changed, specifically right away. Now, some have kind of drifted back to where they were, but a lot haven't. Like, people got really religious after that. A lot of people were, like, running to the church for answers and stuff like that. Some religious people, though, were, were, were taking a step back uh, because of religion, um, a lot of us got real patriotic, right? All of a sudden we realize how grateful we are to live in a country that we get to live in where we have the protection that we have to really step up in times like that. So we saw, saw a lot of American flags. That was awesome. It's changed the way we travel forever. We didn't used to have to get to the airport like 14 hours before the plane took off. It used to just show up and just kind of get on. That, those days are gone, right? My family and I, we went on a vacation to Florida this summer and... Uh, it's, you know, I, it had been a while since I've gone through one, and I'm, we're going through the checkpoint, and I get through it. I still get kind of nervous. I mean, I'm not smuggling anything, but I just kind of still get nervous. And I go through it. I, go, I get through the full body cavity check, and I pass all that. It's great. I get to the other side. And then Jody, my wife, who's the angel of angels, they say, ma'am, and then they bring her bag over, and they're checking her bag. I'm like, this is, I, I thought it was funny. I'm like, busted, you know, and it was no big deal. Jody, all they found was that pound of weed, so it was okay, right? So not that big of a deal. Could have been worse, you know, you've done worse. So, um, but I thought that was hilarious. She gets busted up, not busted, but you know what I'm saying. Um, but it, it's changed the way we talk at the check-in, at the, at the TSA, doesn't it? No longer is your friend going to go get his pumpkin spice latte decaf cappuccino from Starbucks and run back in the security line and say, oh my gosh, this drink is the bomb. Okay, you're not saying that anymore. If you say that, you're going to hinder your plans for the day. So we don't talk like that. But that event changed everything. Wait a second. That's the title of today's message. Wait a second. The event that changed everything. 
Now, I'm not talking 9-11 for this message. I'm just giving you an example. That event changed a lot in our world. But the event that I'm talking about today is the pinnacle of why you have hope. It's the pinnacle of why we would even gather on a Sunday morning and show up here. It's the pinnacle of what you, if you're a follower of Jesus, of what you believe in, why you believe it. Listen to me. In the first century, over 2,000 years ago, something happened. Oh, my God. Repeat after me. Something happened. Oh, did something happen. And Christianity, this cult, this little tiny group of ragtag bunch of followers... And their beliefs spread like an airborne disease. It was insane. So what happened? Well, I'll tell you. The death and resurrection of a man named Jesus. That's what happened. That event changed everything forever. Everything. And I'm going to show you something. This is going to blow some of you away, especially if you've grown up in the church. Because this is going to challenge your thinking a little bit. Our faith rests on one event and one event alone. And today I'm going to show you why, why it happened, how we know it's true, and why it gives you such hope for your life and for your marriage or your singleness or your family or your job or your finance or your mental illness and why this gives you such hope. But I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to give historical facts today. I'm going to show you, I'm going to use God's word because that's a lot of that is historical documents, but I'm going to show you, we're going to talk about the resurrection because there's nothing more important in the world. Nothing, nothing. So check this out. Four historical facts. If you're taking notes, you got to write this down. And if you're not taking notes, you got to write this down, right? So, um, so number one, this is a fact. Jesus died. Jesus Christ was a man who was dead. Fact. Okay? So for the resurrection to be real, something for something to come to life, something has to first die. Right? Whew. Boy, we, I, that's another sermon right there. For some of you, there's something in your life that needs to die. You, you, and you need to kill it. Because God wants to birth something new in your life. God wants to do something new in your heart, in your family. But you've been holding on to something old. Again, you're getting me off track. Knock that off. So Jesus died. If you brought a Bible or you got a mobile app with a Bible device on it, go to John 19. Now, if you don't have that, we're going to put it up on the screen. But I love when you bring your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you one for free today. I, I this, you need to know why you believe what you believe. So John 19, I'll set it up. John is one of the Gospels. Gospel means, see, some you're getting it, because I say it almost every week. The Gospel means good news. That's literally what it means. The story of Jesus is good news. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all wrote about a man named Jesus. John is where we're at. John was arguably Jesus' best friend. In fact, did you know John was the only guy who didn't run and scatter at the cross? Like he was there with Mother Mary? That's why we know, that's, again, that's why I can tell you what he's writing. In fact, he'll tell you. Listen to what he says. So in John 19, verse 28, Jesus is hanging on the cross right now. He's, he's, he's gone up the hill. He's been nailed to the tree. He hangs there now. And this is close to where it's, where it's over, close to where Jesus dies. Verse 28, Jesus knew his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked it in a sponge with, with sour wine, stuck it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to, to Jesus' lips. 
They held it up, Jesus tasted it, and he said, it is finished. Jesus, after speaking those words, bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It means he died. Jesus is dead. But let me give you a few more verses just so you can, just so you can, I can convince you that this, he didn't pass out. He, 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 he didn't just like go into a coma and then come out of a coma. He was dead. Verse 31, it was the day of preparation and the Jewish leaders didn't want the bodies hanging there the next day. See, normally when someone's crucified in Rome, they just let the bodies hang up there. They're like, okay, anytime you think about crossing Rome or crossing our government, look at that guy hanging there. And uh, they, they would just leave him hang for a while. Well, they didn't want to do that here because it's a party, right? It's, the Passover week was a celebration. And it kind of hinders a party. You know, you're trying to do your limbo, and all of a sudden you look up and see a dead body. It just, it'll throw a damper on the party. So they don't want that. So they take the bodies down. But before they take them down, they want to make sure that they're dead. You ready for this? The Jewish leaders didn't want them hanging there. It was a Sabbath, a special day, and a Passover week. It was a celebration. So they asked Pilate, the guy in charge, to hasten or quicken their deaths, by ordering that their legs be broken, then their bodies will be taken down. Because you break somebody's legs that are, that's crucified, I mean, their legs are what's supporting them. That's how Jesus hung there for six hours on the cross, his legs. If his legs were broken, he'd hang there maybe six minutes, maybe, probably not even that. So you, you, you can support yourself so you can continue to breathe. But once the legs are broken, he ain't supporting nothing, and you'll suffocate like that. That's why they're doing that. So... So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the two men. Remember, there's a guy on the right, a guy on the left, Jesus in the middle, busted his legs, busted his legs, but went to Jesus, and look what they said. They came to Jesus, saw that he was already dead. It's like, we don't need to do, no use wasting our energy on this guy. He's dead. One of the soldiers, even just to make sure, pierced Jesus' side with the spear. Blood and water flowed out of his body, all the body fluids. And then look what John says. This is so key. Don't miss this. Verse 35. This report is from an eyewitness, me, John. I saw it, giving an accurate account. It's like John is saying, I know people are going to question this. I know people aren't going to believe this. I'm going to write it down. I, I saw it. He speaks the truth so that many will continue to believe. Jesus died. Fact. Number two. On the third day, on that Sunday morning, the tomb where that dead body was put into was empty. Fact. It, the, historians don't dispute it. I mean, you can't dispute it, and I'll show you why. So we go to John 20. We were just in John 19. John 20, verse 1. Sunday morning. No one's camping out to see if Jesus rose. No one's expecting him to rise because they're expecting a dead body to do what dead bodies do. Stay dead. That No one's expecting anything else. Trust me. Early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, it was still dark, came to the tomb. Now, women went to the tomb not to see if Christ was alive. You read all the Gospels in, in accordance with, with each other, you'll see that they went to anoint a dead body. They were going to anoint a dead body because that's what you do with dead bodies. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found the stone. It had already been rolled away. Interesting. She ran, found Simon Peter. <laughs> okay, and the other disciple, which is John, who's writing this story. See, when you write your own story, you can kind of tweak it however you want. Um, John's, we love John. John was a great guy, but John was kind of arrogant because you'll see John says, she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved. Oh, really, John? Wow. I mean, you're kind of, I mean, okay, that's all that I need to say there. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. 
We don't know where they put him. You know what Mary Magdalene didn't say? Oh my gosh, the tomb was empty. He's risen. It's happened. Our Lord is alive. You know why she didn't say that? Nobody was thinking that. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Jesus told them he was, it don't matter. It, you know how insane that is? For somebody to say, I'm going to die a gruesome, horrible death, and then I'll, be, I'll see you in a few days. You know, if somebody tells you, you know what, I'm going to die, but hey, how about we meet at Chick-fil-A for some Christian chicken on Tuesday? You ain't going there, okay? You ain't meeting them. You might still go there because you love Jesus and you love Christian chicken, but you ain't meeting your friend. It don't happen. So she's not expecting that. So she tells them they've taken him. We don't know where they put him. Verse 3, Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. Again, John writing his own deal here, so... So John and Peter are both running, but the other disciple, me, outran Peter, and I got there first. Well, congratulations, John. Thank you. You're so fast. We're so impressed. I mean, it's just, it's just funny. This is hilarious. you got to read the Bible. So, um, so Peter gets there first, he sto- or John. John stoops in, sees the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. But Simon Peter, pretty bold, he just goes in, checks it out, notices the linen wrappings lying there. Ain't nobody there. Nobody thought there'd be nobody, trust me. Sees the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that covered the head of Jesus was folded up, lying just apart from the wrappings. John, one more time, John. Then the disciple who reached the tomb first. Okay, can somebody get John a medal and shut him up? Okay, holy cow. How many times? Okay, then the disciple who reached the tomb first, me, I went in and I believed. For until then... We, they, us, we hadn't understood the scriptures and what Jesus said that he must rise from the dead. And then they went home. Understand what John is saying, or what Jesus was, it was insane. If you understood, you're a carpenter. You're, you're, okay, so what are we establishing? The tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. No one is disputing the tomb. No one's, no one's ever saw the, the tomb not empty when it comes to Jesus. Fact number two. Number three, say three. Three, Jesus appeared to many people. Say many. Is many one? No. Two? No. Even four? No, it'd be more. And I'll show you that. He appeared to many more. John 20, now we're in verse 19. Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. I love it. I love how they note that. Behind locked doors, because they were afraid of Jewish leaders, they're freaking out. The body's gone. You know what they're thinking? The Jewish leaders are going to think we took it. They're going to think we stole it, we took it out, and they're going to come after us. That's why they're freaking out. Doors locked. Disciples are hiding. They're scared. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them, and he said, boo. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He didn't say that, but he could have and probably. He might have said that, and John left it out because John probably peed himself. So anyway, so um, Jesus didn't say that, but he said, peace be with you. He spoke, and he showed them the wounds like he showed them. He still had the wounds. His body still hadn't been perfected. He had to send it up to heaven yet. So he showed them the wounds in his side and in his hands, showed them them all, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. This is a game changer. In verse 24, let me continue to read. One of the 12, and if you've been around religious circles or growing up in the church, you've heard the story about doubting Thomas. So one of the 12 in that locker room, he ain't there. Well, Judas ain't there. By now, Judas has left. He's betrayed Jesus, killed himself. Now we got Thomas isn't there either. 
So he wasn't with them. And when he got back, they're like, dude, we have seen the Lord. And, we get, and Thomas gets a lot of, gets a lot of guff because he replies, I ain't, whatever, I ain't believing that unless I see it. Like, I ain't believing that, and then he gets a little bit gross, but he just says it. I ain't believing that unless I shove my fingers in his holes in his hands, or I shove my hand through his side and uh, place my hand in the wound. And, and you understand, until you see it, you wouldn't believe it either. Okay, don't be too hard on Thomas. Dead people stay dead. It's what they do. No one believed it until they saw it. So Jesus, knowing how Thomas is doubting, knowing his love for Thomas, not his condemnation, not his disdain, his love for Thomas, eight days later, eight days later, verse 26, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. Then it says the doors were locked. Okay, we know what's coming now, right? The doors are locked. Jesus is at it again. Suddenly, there he is, standing among them, and he puts them at ease. Settle down, guys. I know you're freaked out. Peace be with you. It's okay. And he goes right over to Thomas. Right over to Thomas. Thomas, put your finger here, and look at my hands. Put your hand here. Go ahead, put it in. Don't be faithless anymore, Thomas. Don't be faithless anymore. Believe. The love of the Father. The love of the Father not argumentative, not mad, like how could you not believe your friends? They saw me and then you don't believe? No. Jesus loves Thomas so much. He says, Thomas, I'll show you. Touch. You wanted to touch? Touch. Oh my God. This is so amazing. Thomas, in that moment, you know what happened? He was changed. Not only was Thomas changed, but so were the other disciples because they had seen Jesus. That changes you. Okay, let, 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 let's talk about you for a minute. Some of you, you are so desperate for change in your life, and you know it. And this is why God would bring you here today. I don't know. You, you already know what it is. It could be your, your mental messed up mind that has you thinking things that you shouldn't think or don't want to think. It could be actions that you're doing that you don't want to do. You know they're wrong, but you're going in a wrong direction. It could be a family thing. It could be a kid thing. It could be a fine. There's so many things, but you want change, and you're wondering, and you're doubting. Oh, boy, just like Thomas, is it ever going to get better? Will I ever find a person that will love me? Will I ever get out of this hole that I'm in? Will I ever find people that care about me? Will we ever get back together? You're, you're wondering, you're thinking. I'm telling you, change can happen. How did Thomas change? He had an encounter with the risen king. I'm telling somebody, when you meet Jesus, your life will change. You can't meet him and not change. That's impossible. Your life will change. Their life was never the same again. Never. Can you say, do me a favor, say many again. Many. Gosh, so he appeared to the 10, then he appeared to Thomas. I got to give you a quick shot, uh, a quick shot in Corinthians real quick, just to give you a snapshot of that it was many. Paul, a guy that he appeared to, a, a guy that killed Christians and, and hated Christians and hated the church and everything they stood for, uh, was transformed by Jesus and then was one of the greatest advocates for Christianity that ever walked the earth. He wrote some books in the Bible, like a lot of them. One of them was 1 Corinthians. Listen to what he says here. I don't even know if I have this. Did I put the scripture down? I don't think I did, but is it up on the screen? 1 Corinthians, yeah, 15, 3 through 5. Listen to this. This is Paul. I passed on to you. He's writing to a church in Corinth in Greece, but he's also writing to you and I. He's saying, I passed on to you what was most important and what's also been passed on to me. Christ died. Okay, that was point number one. 
Christ was dead. He did it for our sins, just like the scripture said. Christ was buried and raised from the dead on the third day. That's point number two. The tomb was empty. Okay, Paul's laying it out. He was seen, here we go, point number three, seen by many, by Peter, then by the 12, and then by more than 500 people at one time. It doesn't stop there. Most of them, as Paul wrote this, they were still alive. Some had died. Then he was seen later by his brother James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, because I saw him like last after he ascended into heaven, but Paul says he appeared to me. So I'm not just making this up. It wasn't just us or the 12 and whatever. It was hundreds, maybe thousands of people who saw Jesus Christ change. Not only did Paul have a personal encounter with Jesus, he was transformed. He was transformed. That's point number four, by the way. Say four. Four. How do we know? What are the historical facts of the resurrection? Here's a fact. The transformation of the disciples. They were completely changed. Completely changed. Not only that, but the establishment of the church. Why does the church even exist today? How did the church go from a handful of people to hundreds, then thousands, and then billions? How does this happen? Something, it did spread. That's how it happens. People, it spread like an airborne disease. I said it earlier. Why? Because Jesus was dead, and then he was alive. This is the foundation of our faith. Make no mistake. So let's talk about that transformation. Understand, I told you earlier, when Jesus was arrested and crucified, I told you, what did the disciples do? They ran. Oh my gosh, they weren't sticking around for that. They, they've seen crucifixions before. They know how the story ends. Okay, I, I've seen the end of this movie. Uh, he ain't getting off that. Okay, it's done. It's over. They turn and they ran. They ran faster than Ozzy Osbourne at a sobriety checkpoint. That's how fast they ran. Okay, that's not the best illustration because Ozzy probably can't run that fast. But you get it. So it's, they weren't sticking around. But guess what? They weren't running anymore. They weren't locking their doors anymore. After they saw Jesus, everything changed. Everything. Everything. Thomas, let's go back to him for a second, the doubter. You know what happened to Thomas? You may not know this, but if you study history, you'll, you'll find out that Thomas ended up being a great evangelist in India. He, he was. He went and spread the gospel to India and to people there. And guess what? At the, at the, towards the end of his life, he was arrested. And the people that arrested him, you know what they said? They would tell people, we, don't, we won't kill you if you just stop, if you renounce Jesus, if you just shut up about Jesus and, and, and say what you're, what you're, stops talking about how you're talking, we'll let you live. That's what they told Thomas. You know what Thomas said to that? Listen to this. Quote, I will never, say never, I will never renounce my Savior. So Thomas goes how does he go from doubting the resurrection of Jesus to declaring the resurrection of Jesus? I'll tell you why. He knew Jesus was alive. He had touched Jesus. He had, he had talked to Jesus. I'm telling you, when you see Jesus, he saw Jesus. Oh my God. Thomas was changed, as were the others. Now he's ready to die for Jesus. That's how much he believed. Are you kidding me? You couldn't have talked him into believing Jesus is real. And not only was he ready to die for Jesus, he did. After he, after he, didn't, after he didn't renounce Jesus as a savior, uh, they drove a spear through his body and killed him. And Thomas's death, or Thomas's life was over. Which brings us to just a note to self, and you can write this down if you want. I think it's up on the screen. Note to self, threatening a man who has lost his fear of death is really a waste of time. 
Okay, I'm just gonna, it's threatening somebody that doesn't care if they die or live, it, it doesn't really matter. They don't care. They don't care. It doesn't, they didn't care, okay? They were on a mission. We know the resurrection happened. We know it happened. Matthew documented it. So did Mark, so did Luke, so did John, so did Peter, so did Paul, so did James, the brother of Jesus. James, the guy who, okay, let me ask you a question. What would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? Really? I mean, seriously. My brother, I mean, there were times I thought he was the devil, but never God, okay? He used to hold me down. He's five years older than me. My brother used to hold me down, pin me down my shoulders, and hover over top of me, and he would drop this huge loogie. This is disgusting, you know. But it would, it would come down like this, and then he'd suck it back up. And then he'd come down. Hey, is this too much? Okay. Well, and then he'd suck it back up. And sometimes... He wasn't able to suck it back up. So yeah, I need, you know I've been to counseling and I still go. I mean, he was not Jesus and you couldn't convince me. But something happened to James. You know what happened? He saw his brother dead and then his brother showed up at mom's birthday party and he thought, dang, that's weird. Jesus is here. That's, that's odd. Okay, what is going on? That will change you. Did you know that uh, the, brother, the brother that I'm talking about, James, was also killed for his faith? Listen to this. I mean, who would have thought this? Who would have thought this? And I want to invite the, the band to the stage. Would you have thought that James, the brother of Jesus, who before the resurrection didn't believe Jesus was anything special, that after the resurrection, he was thrown off a 100-foot cliff because he, didn't, he wouldn't renounce Jesus, his brother, as the Lord? And after the fall from the cliff didn't kill him, they clubbed him to death. That's how James, the brother of Jesus, died, if you didn't know. I'll give you some more history if you want. It's kind of fun just to learn these guys ran and hid and were, were cowering in a room behind locked doors. They weren't cowering anymore. Why? Repeat after me. Something happened. Something happened. Something happened. Something happened. So the other James, the, James, the, the disciple of Jesus, not the brother, but one of the 12 like John's brother, John, who wrote that gospel you and I read together, guess how he died? I'll show you. In 44 AD, King Herod had this James, one of the inner three, Jesus' three closest confidants and friends, had him killed with a sword. He was the, that James, the disciple, was the first one killed for his faith. And I'm telling somebody in this place, the bloodbath began. It began. It didn't stop. I'll keep going. Luke, he wrote a gospel. Luke was hung by the neck from a tree in Greece. Philip, tortured and crucified. You know what they say? He continued to preach while he was on the cross. That's what historians tell us. Matthew wrote a gospel, stabbed to death in the back in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was whipped to death in Armenia. Simon, again, another one that was crucified by the governor of Syria, Thaddeus, beaten to death with sticks in Mesopotamia. Something happened. Something had to happen. Matthias, the one who would replace Judas after Judas left, he was stoned to death and beheaded for his faith. And then Peter, ah, oh, Peter, maybe, maybe, maybe the closest John would argue that, but maybe the closest. Crucified, upside down. Why? 
it was his request. He didn't feel like, he didn't feel worthy enough to get crucified the same way that his Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. Here's the kicker in all that, what I just shared with you. Here's the kicker. When those men died for their faith, their life actually wasn't over. It was just beginning. Because today, those men are more alive than ever. I'm telling somebody, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the reason that you and I have hope up in this place. That is it. Nothing else. That's the reason there's hope. See, this is the reason that I can, I can gather a family like I did yesterday around a bed of a man who's part of our church. You'll never probably see him again here because he's gonna die today tomorrow or soon in fact he was baptized the last time we did baptisms the resurrection is is how i can go there hang out with his family hold him in his last days knowing he can hear us i can't you not we're talking we're telling jokes and he's smiling he can hear us why is he smiling dude is facing death death is you know what most people i mean Death freaks a lot of people out. He didn't seem freaked out at all. He looked at peace. And you know what was weird? His wife, the one who loves him probably more than anybody else in this world, she's at peace. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, guy recommitted his life to Jesus Christ here, was baptized here, just the last time we did it. And we can kneel at a bed and hold him and laugh and praise Jesus? Who does that? This is the sad, horrible time. No. If you don't understand the resurrection, it's, it is. You're right. It's horrible. If you don't, if you don't believe in what we're talking about today, it, it, you, death is something to fear. It really is. But when you believe that Jesus Christ was dead and Jesus Christ is alive and that that man can take away all your sins and all your mess-ups and all your screw-ups, and you call on his name and you're saved and then you declare it through baptism it's not a bad day folks it's a good day he's ready to go home he's ready to meet his maker he's ready to fall into the arms of a king named jesus i love it how many of you have been hearing the story about the man who's in jail as i preach to you a man caught with our equipment that was stolen from us a man that literally gave his life to Jesus Christ over a week ago, you should hear that. You want to talk transformation, you won't talk him out of a transformation. You know what he told me? He called me this week. He was able to call me, he got a debit card, called me. Here's what he said. Guy's in jail, doesn't know when he'll see the light of day. He says to me, Pastor, I've been reading that Bible. I've been reading that Bible. I've got through James and Romans. And I said, okay, now we're going to get into a gospel. We're going to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or all of them. He said, it's crazy. He goes, you know what I've been doing? He goes, every time I cuss, I make myself do five push-ups. And I'm like, dang, that's a pretty good idea. We should try that at Meadows Church. Be people doing push-ups all over the place. Pastor be like, dang it, I'll preach in a second. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so, you know, he's like, but why is he doing that? He's been changed. You know what he told me? For, for those of you that don't think Jesus can use you where you're at in your messed up state, you know what he told me? This guy's been in the Word a week. He says, Pastor, I've got people in jail reading the Bible with me. You should give God some praise for that. That's amazing. That is amazing. I was like, yes, I love it. I love it. Did I tell you last week what he asked me about being accepted? Did I say that? Did I tell you he didn't know if he'd be accepted at Meadows Church? I'm like, dude. 
you, have you seen Meadows Church? You'll be accepted. So why does he have hope? Why does that guy in jail have hope? Why does the gentleman laying at home dying right now have hope? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is it. Our faith rests on nothing else but one event. And there's people and there's news and there's non-belief. They'll, they'll want to bog you down with things that don't really matter at the end of the day. Can you wrap your head around the resurrection of Jesus? One more scripture. I know I'm giving you a lot, but it's so good. Two more verses, and then I'm done. First Corinthians, because listen to me, if the resurrection isn't, didn't really happen, well, you and I, we can kind of pack up and go home. This isn't necessary. What we're doing is not necessary at all. At all. I'll show you. Paul writes it. The guy who was transformed by Jesus. For if there's no resurrection of the dead, Paul writes, then Christ really hasn't been raised either. But it's all a lie. It's all a farce. And if Christ hasn't been raised, all of our preaching is useless. Useless. Our faith, useless. It does not matter. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, it is game over. Like I said, pack up the trailer. They can seal it. We don't need the stuff back. We don't need to meet again next Sunday. It's over. However, there are many eyewitnesses, many, that say that they saw Jesus. Not only did they say that they saw Jesus, many of them documented what they saw. Not only did many of them document what they saw, but they literally were changed by Jesus Christ. So, it's not game over because we have a lot of, a lot of, I'm telling you, me preaching to you, that should be proof enough. If you saw me 12 years ago and you saw me today, okay, you would not dispute the resurrection of Jesus. You wouldn't. You would know miracles happen. You would know it. So, and then, you know what you'd know? You would know it's not game over, but it's game on. It is game on. Because if a man, listen to me, if a man can predict his own death and predict his own resurrection and pulls it off, I'm going to follow that guy. I don't know about you. I'm following him. Because if he can do that, guess what? He can take what's dead inside of you and he can bring it back to life. Can you get louder? I don't hear something. Can you get louder? I don't hear something. Can you get louder? I'll never stop preaching Jesus. I'll never stop loving you. I'll never stop pointing you to hope. There is hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we have hope. That's how the disciples can get beaten and whipped and scourged and flogged and crucified and be okay with it. That's how. That's, that's how you and I can sing. The resurrected king is resurrecting me and you. Jesus wants to resurrect you today. Make no mistake, that's why you're here. What's the action items? Okay, surrender. Surrender everything. Every secret, every sin, every mess. He knows it all. Surrender it to him today. Commit everything to him. Then you will know all that matters is, is, is Jesus and living my purpose for him. That's your purpose. That's your God-given purpose. Sell out to the king. That's why I talk about life groups so much. Do you know how many people, I don't know how many people, but we've almost doubled life groups in seven weeks. It's amazing. So yeah, you can, it's good. That is something to cheer about. Why? 
Not because we can say we have a lot of life groups, but because a lot of life change is happening. So, so in our life groups during this series, we've, I've literally given you questions and, and you guys have talked about them, about what I'm preaching. So for the You Ask For It series coming up, by the way, for You Ask For It, I'm asking you to invite like crazy. There won't be a better series ever that I preach that people will want to hear because they're asking questions. People want their questions answered. Why are you going to church? Why would God do this? Why would God allow that child to die? Why would People are desperate for answers and we can give them to them. The next three weeks, I'm begging, bring, drag. I was going to say drug them, but don't do that. That could get us in trouble. So bring them. Let, let, let's, let's watch what God does. But in that series, you ask for it, we're gonna keep doing the question thing at life groups, so you'll be able to talk about it more at life groups. If you're not in a life group, I, I, I pray that today you'll inquire at guest services. You'll check it out. Lives are being changed. That's why they're multiplying so much, because people are going back, because conversations are happening, love is being exchanged, and lives are being changed. Oh man, I wanna pray for you, and I need you to know something. The resurrection is it. Maybe you've struggled with religion, you've struggled with church, you've struggled with why this, why that, why would God, why is slavery around in the Old Testament? And he said, well, answer it, I'll talk about it. Why was, why are babies being, why would Herod, why would God allow those babies to die? We'll talk about it. But that, that has nothing to do, that has nothing to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation, listen to me, being saved, it hinges on one thing, the resurrection of Jesus, okay? People say, you don't have to believe everything the Bible says. I believe it, I'll preach it, I'll never stop. But you don't have to believe everything today in order to say, I wanna give my life to Jesus. No, you don't, you don't have to believe all that. Do you believe Jesus Christ was God's son and that he died on the cross? He rose from the dead for you, he loves you, he loves you, he loves you. If you can believe that, in the historical facts that we pointed out today, four of them, if you could just wrap your head around that and believe that, you could call on the name of the Lord and you can be saved. And then that day that you, if you get the opportunity to even rest in a bed before God calls you home, you'll, you'll, you'll do it with a smile on your face. You know how you can do that? Because you know this was never your home in the first place. It was never your home. We live like this is all there is. God, will you help us not live like this world is all there is? There's so much more. Please remind us of that, me included. Call on his name. Take your next step. Do what he's asking you to do. I promise you won't regret it. I love you, and God loves you way more. Father, will you have your way today? I thank you so much for sending your son Jesus, knowing the mess that we make, knowing the mess that we still make, you know what your word says? Well, of course you know what your word says, God. You wrote it. You know what it says, how you sent Jesus, even while we're still sinning, even while we're still messed up. God, you still know I sin sometimes, right? You still know we don't have our lives together, right? But you love us anyway, don't you? Thank you. God, I lift up your children here today. For the steps they're going to take towards you excites me. The, the Holy Spirit working, the, the, way, the reason they feel that in their heart right now, they might not know what it is. I do, it's your Holy Spirit moving in them, working in them, having your way with them. God, I pray people won't leave. If they need prayer, I pray that they'll let us pray for them. As they take their next steps, whatever it is, God, I pray they know they're never, if they're part of Meadows Church, they will never be alone. 
never. Only if they choose that, and God, I pray they won't choose that because we weren't created to do life alone. We were created to do it community. Messed up, messy community with you at the center. God, we love you. I thank you for the miracle that is your son Jesus, dead on a cross, but dead no longer. He is risen. We're not gonna wait for Easter to celebrate what you wanna do in this place today. Father, we love you, have your way. We'll never stop declaring that in you, Father, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray and everybody says, amen.